The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Okay, Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set up by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. One of the things that I have, that I've, I, I said to my daughter this week, and she was asking me about the study and preparation, and I actually said to her, I'm really excited about this chapter because I've spoken out of Acts chapter 1 at least a dozen times in the last 25 years of my ministry, even going back to my early days as a 22-year-old youth pastor with a group of students you know, that would you know, number about 10 sitting around a table trying to help them understand all of this. And it's never ama- it never has stopped amazing me how many times I've come back to this passage and almost felt like as if it was new the first time I was reading it. Uh, and because I think part of it is, is just how we're wired to wander. Like how we're, wa- how we're wired to just get drowned by the things of this world and how quickly it just doesn't seem simple anymore and how complex it is. And, and I believe that there's so much about this letter to the people that, well, actually the letter to Theophilus, which again, I've, I've mentioned this before and I want to say it again for those of you that are new. How much did Luke love Theophilus? I mean, he wrote him two letters the book that we call the Gospel of Luke, and then the, letter, the, the sequel, um, Acts. You know, and so he writes to him in this first verse, and he's saying to him, look, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And that was his Gospel. And he was sharing all that with him. But I truly believe that the book of Acts is Luke's sequel to his Gospel letter. And a lot of times we get distracted by all of the Holy Spirit language in the book of Acts, which it's a good distraction to be distracted by the Holy Spirit. But the letter of Acts is truly about Jesus as king. Luke talks about how he became king. Acts talks about what it's like for him to be king. And people not know it. And so there's this this stuff going on in the letter of Acts to Theophilus that I just want to seek deep into our bones because Jesus is king, period. We're not waiting for him to be king. It's not going to happen sometime in the distant future he's going to be king. He's king now. There's just a lot of people that don't know it. 
And so we're going to begin to figure out what that looks like and begin to hopefully encourage one another. And so Luke is actually writing about the actions and the teaching of King Jesus, the sequel. Is that registering with you? Some of you are looking at me like you have no... Maybe you need to read Luke first and then realize that Acts then begins to expand that. And that actually would probably be a great discipline. If there are those of you in here that really want to take the most or get the most out of this particular series, I would encourage you to, as often as you can, cycle through the Gospel of Luke and cycle through the book of Acts repeatedly until we finish this. Because if we allow this to saturate and marinate into our soul, I believe the questions and the insecurities and the fears that you're facing would be starting to be cleaned up because the Holy Spirit comes to give us power to work through those things. But if we don't know that the Holy Spirit does that, and we don't know what Jesus is actually doing now, and we don't know what Jesus is actually teaching now, we can live in a state of confusion and waste years and years and years of our life if we're not careful. And so Luke, I, began, I love Luke because he is a writer that I think many of you that are intellectual or those of you that really want to be fed are going to feel like, yes, I finally have found that. Mark and we've been through the Gospel of Mark. It took us a long time to get through the Gospel of Mark. But Mark was a very short, powerful letter that literally, in my opinion, was like a book you'd read in the bathroom. I mean, it just, it's short. You, just, you, you keep it in there because you're not going to be in there really long, and you just want something to read while you're there, right? But it's important. It's, it's, you know, so I don't want to devalue it by that, but that's why you don't put really big, thick books in the bathroom, Right? You want something short, you know you're not going to have a lot of time, and you go for it. Now, Acts and Luke are totally different. You need a, co- a comfy chair and a warm drink and a lamp, and you need to sit there and read it from start to finish. It is not designed for us to pick it apart. It is designed for you to feel like somebody loves you, wrote you a letter. It is designed for you to, to feel like as if somebody that wants you to know the truth so that you can experience freedom has now written you and you want to get yourself lost in it. You're going to feel loved. You're going to feel encouraged. You're going to feel like, wow, I can identify with this. But yet you're also going to have moments where you're going to be like, wow, there's just so much happening here. Luke is a phenomenal writer. That's why I think people go to his gospel and to this letter of Acts repeatedly because he's just gifted at communicating. And he takes history and makes it interesting. And you have to be really good at writing to make history interesting. Some of you love history and you're like, oh, I'm so offended by that, right? (laughs) But if you're not good at helping people capture a story, you can just get overwhelmed with information. And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke gave just enough information about what the church did for 40 years. But you read it like as if it just took place in a matter of a couple of years. But he summarizes nearly 40 years of church history for Theophilus so that he could be motivated and encouraged to say, Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty. This is what Luke is doing through the book of Acts. But there's two... Very important things that I think we need to understand about this. And I want to frame it in the standpoint of a drama that is taking place that you don't have to audition for. I want you to understand this. We are all invited in this great act that is taking place. So Acts is telling us what certain people did 
with Jesus being the main character. And then how the supporting characters then begin to move through so that by the time we get to Acts 28, which the book of Acts ends funny, but it's brilliantly written because it's not meant to seem finished because there's now new characters. So now we are actually in Acts chapter 2018. It's the story of the church. It's the story of the church that's living as Jesus as king and the Holy Spirit as a powerful messenger of his words to us, right? That's what's happening. And so by the time we get there, we're going to realize, oh, it's going to feel a lot like going back to Acts 1, and now I'm in it, and now I'm doing the things that I'm reading about, and then my disciples are going to feel like, wow. And Acts is going to feel like we're designed to continue to start and finish it over and over and over again with people's lives until we're done. And it's important for us to be able to find that. And so two things drive Luke, and we'll find it all throughout the letter. And the first is, is that Jesus is resurrected. I I think we need to get this. I mean, we intentionally left the cross up as the way it was left last week. Because it is a symbol that the work is started, but it's not complete. And let the flowers represent the past generations of people that have been freed from their sins, that have been set free to no longer worship idols and give idols power over us anymore, and yet there's still nails and people that are living apart from the truth that Jesus is King and Lord over all, and they're still bound up and they need to be set free. But one day, it will all be completed. But in the meantime, we have work to be done. And so Luke, all throughout his gospel... Is you're going to see the different characters starting as soon as the rest of this chapter over the next couple of weeks where they're going to be emboldened enough to say Jesus is alive and he resurrected as king. And that's important. He's not just alive. He has a job he's doing. And the doing part of his job is king of all. He's Lord of Lords. There's no king higher than that king. And so he didn't just resurrect to his disciples and say, I'm alive. He didn't just come in in this spiritual body and walk up to them and then be like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is a unique ghostly version of Jesus. No, he is in the body of eternity. Like when you and I step fully into the kingdom and we're no longer bound by our flesh and blood, we, are, you know, we go from death to life. There's resurrection promise for us too. We're going to get to that in the book of Acts. We're going to be like Jesus. Now, there's a part of that's a little mysterious. Like in eternity, do we need to use doors? I mean, obviously he ate. He cooked fish on the beach for his disciples in his resurrected body. But yet he appeared in a room with the door locked. All right, there's a little bit about that that's creepy. But yet, there's also this moment where he knew his disciples personally and engaged with them in a way that helped them to fully grasp what they were then to now go do. He healed them of their fear and gave them power and and helped them begin to step into what was true. And so it is important that we understand that Luke is pushing through the belief that Jesus is resurrected. And the second thing that he's hoping is he wants us to latch onto is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where a lot of people get scared in the faith because there was a generation 
of people that called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost, right? And so then all of our images, everything from Casper to other scary films that you have seen, then come to mind, and then we have this really warped perspective of what the Holy Ghost is. And so I personally don't choose to use the word because I don't want to have to unpack what that means. But the Spirit of the living God can actually fall fresh on us. The Spirit of the living God can actually dwell in us. The Spirit of the living God can be all around us. The Spirit of the living God can do a lot of things, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But it is impossible for us to read through the book of Acts and deny the fact that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, there are certain denominations that do really well with God the Father and God the Son, and they'll have a big perspective on God the Father and a big perspective on Jesus, and they have a really little perspective on the Holy Spirit, right? Like he's in it, but he's not really, and we're scared. But Jesus said, this is what's best for you for now. And so it has this great capacity. And if you were here for our prayer week, I want to remind you of what, how we walk through Ephesians 1 and 2 and the importance of the role of the Holy Spirit. But yet for us today, we need to understand that there is power in all three of them, and they are still doing a great work and acting on our behalf and teaching on our behalf, and we need to continue to discover that. And so when we begin to step into this, so I, I want you to understand the style of writing Luke has, and I want us to get lost in the mastery of his letter to Theophilus, but I also need us to be present in what he's actually teaching. Because I don't want us just to be distracted by the narrative. There is actually wisdom truth, things that need to be revealed to us. And I believe it comes rushing forward in Acts 1-4. And so we have it on the screen for you, I believe. And in Acts 1-4, it says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Listen to this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Listen to this which you heard me speak about. The problem with the way that we read the scriptures is is that we don't go look at what he was teaching them about. So we'll read that, and we immediately go on to the next verse and think we know what he was talking to them about and when he was talking to them about it and why that's significant, and we'll rush right past it. And so today, we don't have time to go back and read it all, but I want to whet your appetite. I want you to leave here with homework today. I want you to go back and read all of John 13, all of John 14, all of John 15, all of John 16, and all of John 17, because that is what Acts 1-4 is referring to. And if you would like, we can spend two hours here this morning. I'll read it. We'll go verse by verse through that. But here is an overview. Acts 13, we find Jesus in the Passover meal with his disciples washing their feet and talking to them. He's making sense of everything that's going to be unfolding for them in the next few days, as well as what their ministry was going to look like. In John 14, we find. So in John 13, Passover, foot washing, Jesus is talking to them about the power of all of that. In John 14, he's comforting them. Why would they need to be comforted? Because people wanted to kill them. People, they were being misunderstood. They were gripped in fear. 
They had all these other things going on in their mind where they were trying to make sense of what King Jesus looked like and what King Jesus was going to do, but they had a totally different job description than Jesus, and they were confused and hurting and, wound, and, 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 all, and in need of comfort. And then Jesus talks to them about the way of the Father. He's instructing them on what the Father's ways look like. So if you want to know what our Father in heaven, what his will and way looks like, Jesus actually talks about it in John chapter 14. And then he talks to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is about to happen for them. So why would it be important for Jesus to look at them post-resurrection and say, remember that teaching on the Holy Spirit? Because if you don't, it's going to come and you're not going to know what to do. And he's helping them to remember what he had taught them, John 14. And then in John 15, he's talking to them about the necessity of them staying connected to the Father and connected to him through the Holy Spirit. And he actually uses a powerful illustration called the vine and the branches. So that teaching is taking place after Passover, after the foot washing, and before the cross. And he's helping them to understand what the vine and the branches look like. And then he goes on to tell them, the world is going to hate you. And I just want to just stop here just for a minute. Much like Dr. King, when we talk about what the kingdom of God looks like, there will be hatred towards you. That is not just for a character like Dr. King. That is not just for the the plan of God in Dr. King's life. Anytime you and I start talking about what it looks like to live like Jesus, there are still people in this world that don't want that. There are people that know if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up another God that has dominion over my life, and they're not going to want to be set free from that. And And Jesus is prepping them, and he's saying to them, look, if you do what I'm asking you to do, you will have people that love you and you will have people that hate you. And then look what he, get, what he goes on in John 15. And he talks to them about how the work of the Holy Spirit will sustain them through that type of ministry when some people will praise you and some people are going to hate you. Now let me just be honest with you. As a pastor, it is really filling and nice to be around people that praise you. But it is really hard when you're around people that hate you. I have been misunderstood. I've been accused of at times loving some people more than others. And it it hurts when in something you feel like isn't true, but you battle perception. Like I was talking to my son this week and he was telling me about um, a conversation he was having with some of his friends about a Bible study that he had attended. And one of his friends was like, I didn't even know that guy was a Christian. Now imagine being the guy at the Bible study and having been hearing that somebody said about them, oh, I didn't even know they believed in Jesus, but yet you believe in Jesus. I mean, it's painful when you think you're living your life following Christ and you're accused of not following Christ. Um, and it, it's, there are going to be some discouraging days. There are going to be times when you get it wrong and you're going to have to ask for forgiveness. There's going to be times where as confident as you are in what you understand and what you believe, you're going to still get it wrong. And that's why we talked last week about the resurrection and forgiveness that the cross and the empty tomb really does empower us towards. But after the Passover, the foot washing, the comfort talk, the way of the Father talk, the coming of the Holy Spirit talk, the vines and the branches teaching, the world will hate you, the Holy Spirit will empower you. John 16, verse 1, look, it's on the screen for you. All of this I have told you so that you will not 
fall away. I am so grateful that the early believers that are in this upper room, that we're going to identify more clearly in the coming weeks, that they took this seriously and didn't fall away. We would not be here today if they hadn't done their following the Holy Spirit and King Jesus. We would not be talking about Christ, most likely, if they had just given up on it. We are standing on the shoulders of other people's faith. They've laid a foundation for us to continue to move forward. And it is something that we need to do that people can point back and be like, yes, it's because of the faith of Ellis that I am now even moving forward in this world today. That's the way that the church was designed. That's why it's Acts 2018. It's the church is still moving, is still moving forward. But if we don't understand Jesus' teachings, when we are misunderstood, when things are difficult, when things get hard, when people falsely accuse us or even rightfully accuse us and we make mistakes, we are not going to have the courage to keep moving forward in our faith if we don't hold to what Jesus taught his disciples. We have to believe it. We have to know it. We have to put it in our lives so that on good days and on bad days, we can move forward and not be discouraged because discouraging times are going to come. He goes on after he says this to them, I've told you all of this so that you won't fall away, to give them a gift by saying, if you persevere for it, you will know joy. This is the thing. This is what I I think is crazy. We don't necessarily connect the dots. They were on their way to all types of hardships and joys. Like, could you imagine being the early church and baptizing 3,000 people in one day? That would be exciting. I couldn't imagine what it would look like if we had 10 of these troughs down through the courtyard, and literally for eight hours, we were nonstop putting water and running people through it. That would actually be a pretty exciting experience. But it would not be exciting if the very next day people in the city came down here, grabbed me and drugged me all the way to Ellicott City and said, don't come back into Baltimore anymore. That's what was happening to them. They were baptizing people by the thousands. Yes, the church is expanding. And the next day, a group of people grabbed them, beat them, and drug them out of the city and said, don't come back. All right, well, Lord, what do I do with that? I like, I like Sunday, but I didn't like Monday. But if we let what was happening in the letter of Acts happen to us, nothing can steal our joy. Nothing. Nothing physical, spiritual, mental, whatever, can rob us of our joy if we understand that Jesus is king The Holy Spirit brings us power to do something with our life until it's over. But if we miss one of those three components, then we are going to have our joy robbed. We're going to be confused, and we're not going to know what to do. And all it takes is for us to to stop believing in a good father, to stop believing in the saving work of Jesus, And stop believing in the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to equip us to be obedient to all the Father asks of us. And any one of those or all three of those is going to to be our joy stealer. Because it is possible to go through incredibly difficult circumstances for the rescue of other peoples and still feel joy. It is very possible to experience personal pain, 
to go through personal hardships, but knowing you're doing it for a purpose, for the rescue of somebody else, and you can still maintain joy in your life. But yet, like we're going to find out in the letter to the, to the people in Acts, if we have another God other than our Father in heaven, like Mammon we talked about last week, like Aphrodite, like Mars, and we're worshiping those gods, those gods demand life. They take it. They want it sacrificed to them. And if we are worshiping, we think the Father, but yet we're actually worshiping a different God, then we might need somebody to come around us and with accountability, like we're going to find in the letter of Acts, saying to them, look, do you realize you're saying you're worshiping God, but you're actually worshiping this God? And that's why you're experiencing all of this all of these joy stealers is because your hope is in a different God other than our Father in heaven and his great love that was poured out for us. And so John 13, John 14, John 15, John 16, but you must read John 17. Before Jesus went to the cross, John, I believe, even though the Gospels talk about him falling asleep, somehow he captured the words of Jesus in his prayers for for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have to read John 17. There is a portion of it that's very direct at the beginning about Jesus' last days. He's talking specifically to his father about himself. And then he's speaking specifically to his father about his disciples. And then he starts talking about us, the disciples of the disciples and the world. If you want one chapter to know what was on Jesus' mind going into his last day, John 17. There's no doubt what Jesus was thinking about as he was going to the cross. There's no doubt what he was thinking about when he was on the cross. And I am grateful for that clarity. The only problem is, is it doesn't have any power if it's just knowledge. But if we have trust in it and we put our faith in it, it unleashes a light in us that pushes back darkness all around the world. And that's what the early church was doing, and we get a chance to read it. All right, so that's just Acts 1-4. We, got, we read through verse 8, so let me quickly speed up here. Um, have you ever been with a child or an adult that acts like a child on a trip? What is the one thing that happens in the car on your way to a destination when you have an immature person in the car? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? The disciples are still doing that in Acts 1. Uh, they, they, they did not know what the destination was. They were still grasping and understanding that Jesus is like, no, the purpose was for me to be established as king, and that has happened. They were thinking that Jesus became king, would establish Israel as the ruler of the world. And they were like, when is that going to happen? Because at the end of the day, in the human heart, we're okay with God having a kingdom as long as we have a position of power in it. And they're struggling with this. Why do you think that they were bickering behind Jesus on the walk that one day by asking God, well, who's going to be on your right hand? Who's going to be on your left hand? Because the only thing they knew about kingdom was power. And they wanted to be the inside people that had access to information other people didn't have and have resources other people didn't have. And Jesus is saying to them, as king, everybody is an heir. 
Everybody has responsibility. Everyone is necessary. Everyone gets an equal portion. And that was a different kingdom than any kingdom that had been established in and through this period of time. And we need to continue to hold on to that. And so, like a child asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? The disciples are asking the very same thing. And Jesus is saying to them, not just about heaven coming to earth, because in Jesus' bodily resurrection, he was showing what heaven and earth actually looked like already. It was already starting to happen. And so Jesus, I believe, is, is indeed telling them that the time is now. Don't wait until I come back, which I promised I would do, but I'm king now. And that's what brings the power to the word, I want you to be my witnesses. Because I think a lot of times what we've done with the word, my witnesses, we've lost what it really means. Because what ends up happening is, is you get this feeling that um, I've got to learn how to use the Bible to share my faith. And therefore, I haven't been trained to do that, so I don't say anything. And so we are going to experience acts so we understand what it looks like for a life that is growing in Christ and expanding in Christ at the same time, where people are being invited in while we're growing and while we're bearing fruit and all this kind of stuff, because a witness and how the disciples would have interpreted this witness, it would have been like as if, um, well, it had been common it would have been, they had these announcement people that would go throughout the kingdom when a new king would come into power. And so to the people in the first century, having a king was better than not having a king. Because when there wasn't a king, anarchy ruled. And there were no rules. And bad rules were better than no rules. And so when a king would change over power, even in Rome, when it would go from one Caesar to the next, they would send out somebody that would just announce, we have a new king, we have a new king, we have a new king. And then and, and for, it would take a year for them to get from Rome all the way to northern Egypt. It would take a year for them to get from Rome all the way to England, which is where the Roman power had expanded during that day, because they were riding and sharing village to village. We have a king. We have a king. We have a king. Because the people knew that they were in danger of not having one, and they feared not having one. And so Jesus is using language with them that they would have seen the announcers come through. They would have understood the power of it. And he's telling them, you are now for me as king, the announcers that I am now king. And so all that he's asking them to do is to go around and tell people that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's now seated on the throne and he's king. You are no longer serving other kings and other people in power, let's get to know our king. So our invitation to people is, let's get to know the king. Let's get to know the king. You're not living following the king. Let me help you. I'm learning to follow the king. Let me show you what I'm learning. Let's follow the king, the one that has defeated all the other kings, all the other powers, all the other places where people are looking to take advantage of people. That's not in this king. This king wants us to be alive. He wants us to, to be generous. He wants us to be compassionate. Actually, the fruits of these people, which are very fresh to be around, there's nothing stale about them. We're meant to be announcers, to be witnesses about what Jesus 
has done through the resurrection. And so in Acts 1, Jesus gives them the game plan. So if I go back to my illustration of it being an act, like a play, Jesus is the main character. The Holy Spirit plays in a huge part. And then all these other characters start cycling through. Do you guys understand that you're invited to join the play and our role is announcers? We're witnesses. That might look different. My, my life looks different than yours. But in every capacity, we are meant to talk about the fact that there's a new king. We don't need to make it more complicated than that. Jesus gives his apostles an agenda. Now, I want us to see in the agenda, which is going to play out in the next few weeks, that it sounds motivating, like you are off to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Repeat it after me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Like Jesus is doing the pep rally talk with them. Like we're going, you know, it's like first down, second down, touchdown. You know, it's like we're going to just keep progressing. But who were the people in Jerusalem? There were people, like we'll find in Acts 2, that were baptized by the thousands because Palm Sunday was no accident. They wanted Jesus to be king. It took a sermon by Peter for them to realize what Jesus being seated on the throne looked like, and they're like, we're all in. And so by the thousands, they got baptized because they were ready. But they were antagonists. So they were already living the teachings of Jesus because in Jerusalem, the people that wanted to kill Jesus were the same ones now that wanted to kill them, and they actually pulled them in, we're going to hear, where they would say, look, if you talk about Jesus, we're going to kill you. I, don't, I haven't had that happen to me yet, and I pray that I don't experience that, but would I? If I was going to, if I was threatened for my life to talk about Jesus, would I show back up here next Sunday and tell you about Jesus? It's my heart's desire that I would. But until the threat is real, you know, right? I'm going to be honest with you. I, I would like to say, yes, I would be here, right? Like, but there could be a Captain Coward in me that under those types of moments that I, I, would, I, would, I would bend. But in Jerusalem, the first place that they were to go, it wasn't even going to be easy. It wasn't going to be easy. And then Judea was just an expanded part of the same little bit of area. But did you know anything about the Samaritans? They were, in the Jewish mind, a half-breed of people that despised them. Any racial tension that you've known or experienced in world history, yes, Samaria. Like there's even stories in Josephus' writings of the Samaritans defecating in the temple to mock it. And now they've got to go and tell these people, you know, we're all at the same table. We're now all invited into the family of God because Jesus is king. You're welcome at my table. Even though I've been angry at you, I've hated you, I've called you names, I, you're now welcome at my table as brother, as sister. And there's no more hatred. There's no more animosity. You're, now, you're, 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 fully, you're fully at my table. Sounds a lot like the 60s, right? 70s in our country. Sounds like South Africa, sounds like parts of the world right now really need to grasp this message. In the ends of the earth. I mean, the ends of the earth actually sounds like, like some sort of Disney film, like it's like some bold, exciting journey. But the average Jewish person in the first century, century never traveled more than 20 miles from home in their lifetime. I mean, Jesus wasn't giving them something they felt comfortable with. And as we'll find out next Sunday, I'm going to leave off on that now. After he said this, 
he didn't stick around to talk about it. All right, this is the scene next week. This is where we're going to pick up. Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea. I want you to go to Samaria. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. (laughs) And what ended up having to happen in the next verse? Yeah, and like, like angels came and like, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? Didn't you hear what Jesus said? But then the conversation with the angel would have been like, did you hear what Jesus told us to just go do? He wants us to go to the people that just killed him and then to go to an expanded group of our people that have really just been kind of on the fringes and then go to the most hated people group in our region and then go to the ends of the world and we've never traveled outside of the Sea of Galilee. But this is what I believe Luke is going to say redundantly to you and I. Wait and pray. Because if you wait and you pray, the Spirit will tell you what to do. And not only tell you what to do, He will coach you through it. He will tell you how to do it. And then not only will He do that, He will give you the power to do it. So the book of Acts... Jesus is king. He's on every page, even though he's only mentioned in the first eight verses. Well, he's mentioned as king in the other verses, but his character is only present in the first eight verses. But where he is right now, he is doing what only he can do, and that is be the king of a new kingdom that is breaking into the earth that we get to be a part of. And so... As I end this today, I believe this is what I think the Holy Spirit is saying to us. We need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to tell us what to do. I know that I sound like a broken record with some people because I don't believe that the transientness of Baltimore is appropriate. I believe that the Holy Spirit is saying to some of us, you must stay. That's difficult because Baltimore, for a lot of people, isn't a place that you want to stay. You have family in other places. You have opportunities. There are cleaner cities. There's less violent cities. There are cities that are easier to bike in than our city, right? But here's the thing. The church is meant to be a family in hard places, and you can't be a family if you're not together. Now, yes, there are churches in other places and things we can go do. But when you look at the story of Acts, the the gospel took over the world because people lived together. They did send people out to places where they hadn't, but they learned how to thrive in proximity and expanded through their regions and, and took a region of land and said, Jesus is king over Galatia. Jesus is king over Corinth. Jesus is king over Jerusalem. Jesus is king over Antioch. Jesus is king. And there's lists of places where the believers rooted themselves and cared for one another. And there is a culture in America right now where we don't want to miss out on an opportunity. 
And we've got to make sure that we're not chasing after opportunities, that we're being obedient to the Holy Spirit. So I don't mind us moving away from Baltimore as long as we can say we know that's what the Holy Spirit is telling us, that's our Father's will. Then for goodness sakes, let's throw a, a parade, right? We're celebrating. God has spoken. I'm going. But if we're chasing after something else and we don't have this, the peace of the Spirit of God in us, then God is, might not be sending us. Because places like Baltimore need the church. And it was a depressing journey. I did it a few months ago when I started looking back over the last 10 years of our church and the number of people that were here that aren't anymore. And I stopped counting and as I was approaching 1,000 people. And I'm starting to think, wow, what would it look like if the Lord had kept a higher percentage of us together? What could we do? But there's also a lot of people, like, who's in your life right now? that the Holy Spirit is already telling you, they need to know that Jesus is king. What could this room look like next week if each one of us just got somebody else in the community to say, Jesus is king, I want to know more about that, and you invited them. And we went through the book of Acts announcing Jesus is king, and they're learning along the way. What would that look like if every week we added one or two people and we started a movement across our, our city announcing that Jesus was king? So let me pray for us, and then I'll tell us how to respond today. So Lord, as we get ready to close our service, um, there's a part of me that would just like to go ahead and run in my teaching all the way through Acts 28 and get it over with today, but Lord, I know we don't have the, the dynamic in our church family to do that. Um, and so Father, I pray that you would let these first eight verses really rest on us Father, that we would look at John 13 through 17 and see what Jesus taught his disciples so that we can know what he's really wanting to teach us so that we can continue to represent his kingdom today. And Lord, um, I pray for the people in here that don't yet believe in Christ, Lord, that they would find that Jesus truly is king and they can confess that. And Lord, for those of us that have been living under the theology that Jesus is going to be king someday in the future, Lord, I pray that we would correct that thinking and that we would know that he's king now. But Father, I pray that we all would serve as witnesses, as ambassadors, as agents, whatever word we want to use, Lord. We are meant to announce that Jesus is alive and that he's not just alive, but he's king. And so, Lord, would we serve that with our lives. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. And Lord, we ask for your spirit to move in us.